I'm glad to be here. You know what I did this week? You know what I've done this week so far? Say. Um, I, so like, uh, so yesterday? What's yesterday? Tuesday? Tuesday. Tuesday. Yesterday. I went to the zoo on Monday. Shout out to the zoo. Great time. It was nice. It was cool. <laughs> what? I was, do you know who Theo Vaughn is? No. He's a comedian. I do know him. And so Carver sent me this video of him talking about zoos. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I'm tired of zoos. Like, we pay money to go sit there and watch animals do nothing. Oh, zoos. I thought he was saying zoo. Zeus. Like the <laughs> like, Greek, like Greek the god? god? I was like, why is Theo Vaughn tired of Zeus? Zeus. <laughs> yeah. Vacuums. Um, so, these are words. So anyway. These are words that Blake, okay. Blake says. The zoo is Zeus. <laughs> And when we, when we clean up, we vacuum, vacuum, vacuum it all, vacuum, <laughs> vacuum. So. Welcome to Products of Grace, a podcast by Mercy Hill Church. My name is Lawson Harlow, and with me today I have Don Terrell and Blake McCullough is here to save the podcast. We would like to make a formal apology for our previous podcast. I'm not apologizing because had we not released it, they wouldn't have had anything. I'm not apologizing because so I wasn't here. I had I had three people be like, literally no clue what that was. Like day of on Friday, I got a text message from Dr. Josh. I got a text message from um, a friend named Brian. And uh, who else? who else messaged me? A church member, because I won't use their name. So, message me, and they're like, I don't know what just happened. Though I did have one person tell me, they were like, hey, man, I want you to know that that podcast blessed me. And I was like, no, it no, didn't. Thank no, you. it didn't. And he said, no, They zoned no, no. out in the car. They, he, weren't, they didn't hear Yeah, it. he literally he literally said, he said, y'all keep doing what you're doing. It's fun. I'm grateful for it, even if yeah. you botch one. So, I'm driving down the road. <laughs> I'm driving down the road with Julie, and she's like, oh, is the podcast out? I go, yep, it is. <laughs> And she goes, oh, well, we got time because we were headed to Oxford for the You for could the listen band. to it twice. I know. And she goes, put it on. I go, no, 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 no. <laughs> I said, you put it on because we need the extra listen. <laughs> so she fires it up. We're listening to it. And at the end, like it's nearing the close. And she goes, you were up there <laughs> for literally two and a half hours. And that's what you came out with? That's it? What a waste of time. And on the other, so like it's the outtake. Yeah. You pick up and I'm going. Yeah. She literally just said that (laughs) to me. And and you go, and I go, what a waste of time, dude. It's going to be the big, and you go, no, it was not a waste of time. It was good for our friendship. You start laying on, I'm looking at her. And all of a sudden I go, bro, if Julie doesn't have a podcast, there's going to be problems. And sure enough, like it was kind of all fitting that it was, because our podcast is sometimes reality. Yeah, so like the thing that I would say about the podcast that wasn't, which was last week's, yeah, is that sometimes we work through theological concepts, and as we do so, there's there's often um, muddiness to it. Yeah, and as we work through it, it eventually becomes clear. But by the time that we get to an actual podcast, we want it to be clear so as to not muddy the waters for everybody else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that we're not people and that we don't want to work through things. And so what yeah. ended up happening was. We sat down and we began to work through something, and it was a useful conversation between Don and I, and ended up being a useful conversation the following day for mm-hmm. a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. 
and it was it was profitable for us. Yeah. However, we did not think that it would have been uniquely profitable for mm-hmm. everyone else to listen in. And it wasn't as if we were like in disagreement. Because had you stopped think, at some place along the way. Yeah. Yeah. You'd have been like, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we don't uh, want anybody walking away with thinking that anything was finished. Yeah, because it wasn't. Right. It and wasn't. a lot of people walk to the podcast for something finished. Yeah. You know, a like, finished product. Yeah. Tell yeah. me something. Yeah. And so, it's fun to muse on this podcast. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. But and, I think we do the podcast because it's good. It's good. This is good. Yeah, like, like the, the actual conversations are good. The conversation. Yeah. So sometimes like the podcast is um, a byproduct yeah, yeah. of the actual benefit of the conversation. Right. So that's where we were like, well, we had a good conversation, but we just delete the podcast. <laughs> you forgot something in the intro. So, so, Don. So, Don, what are we doing today? So Jeez. today, what are we doing today? Today, we will discuss the title of today's episode, which is... I didn't go to small group, but I did go to big church. Big church is an exclusive <laughs> Christian idiom. It is. It is. It's a Christian idiom. Yeah. Amen. I like this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do we want to just jump right into it? Yeah. Blake, you're back. I'm back. Where were you? I, I was at work in my day job mm. uh, meeting parents. Ooh. Yeah, it's a good time. You always, when you meet a parent, it a lot of times it just really clarifies why the kid is the way they are. Not in a necessarily positively. Yeah, like we're assuming graciously in all ways. It's like oh, like we are in many ways yeah. affected by our environments. I mean, we are we are little image bearers. We are of our parents. So it's a fun time. Isn't that an interesting dynamic? Isn't it? I, sorry. Go ahead. No, so I was just going to make a comment over the distinction between like the, the argument of nature and nurture. And as I look at my, my daughter who somehow looks like me, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't, I'm not it's even, weird, a, I'm not even addressing that right mm-hmm. now, but the weight, like I literally told Beth last night, the amount of Harlow in that child is astonishing <laughs> because she's competitive. Mm-hmm. She's loud. Um, she's a goofball. And I'm like, I'm seriously like looking at this kid and I'm like, and Beth on the radio, she's like, I don't understand how this kid is actually you. Hmm. Anyway, but it's amazing to me. All right, sorry. It's only going to get better. <laughs> <laughs> they turn 16, 17, <laughs> They get older. So the Harlows came over a couple of weeks ago. Uh-huh. And, you know, our house is a quiet place. Yeah. It's just the two. It's just Julie and I. Just the two. And we had no issue. I'm not telling the story because I was offended in any way or disliked the company. Beth, that was a podcast. It's fine. Okay. You don't have to give that. But the kids are being the kids, you know? Yeah. They're just like little tumbleweeds rolling <laughs> so around the floor, you know? Yeah. Things might get knocked over. Parents are grabbing stuff, you know? Mm. All of a sudden, we turn on YouTube. <laughs> What's the name of it? Uh, Coco Melon. Coco Melon, yeah. dude. We don't ever watch it at our house. All of a sudden, it was like it's like a drug. No, it was crazy. Haddon was on the couch like mid play, yeah, and just paused and just started drooling and like an but eye doing was, this, yeah, hand like out, hand up, like just twitching. <laughs> I was like, what is? But it lasted for world? like five minutes a or long more, time. and it's he the didn't colors, move. bro. 
And those fat eyes on those people. It's like <laughs> it crazy to staring me. Staring at you. He, so I get home, like, we really don't turn it on. Like, it's, it's incredibly rare. We've turned it on, like, when we've had company there that was like, I need to have a serious conversation. Mm-hmm. You're a right? better man than me. Uh, but, but, uh, but when you turned, like, it was the weirdest thing because he was throwing himself around and then just, just locked gone. in, dude. It was crazy. Like, drooling, locked in, <laughs> eye running. Because you, you're not blinking because you don't want to miss yeah. anything. It's so real. It was the craziest thing. It was, and we literally just laughed for like five minutes watching him. It was great. Just on the couch like a little man. Hey, the, uh, the, what's the name of the sauce that you make the, the, uh, for, the, for the wings? Sweet Thai chili sauce. Sweet Thai Okay, so, so I told you the story. So he made sweet Thai chili sauce as yeah, he does. As he and does. he goes and he's cleaning it. And as he cleans it, he essentially pepper sprays the entire room. The so kids start coughing. Everybody's coughing because of the steam and the hot water. You know, it's got right. sugar in yep. it. You got to dissolve it. Yep. So and then it gets in the air. So then <clears throat> you send some home with me. Yeah, send leftovers. So okay. by the way, the my the things are in my car. Yeah, you owe us Tupperware. They're in my car right now. Good. Okay. So <laughs> I pop. So as I'm best cleaning it out, we're done with them. Right. Takes the top off. Does the same thing. Pepper sprays the house. <laughs> I mean, strong it was, peppers. no, bro, it was, it was spicy. I made it like I wanted to make it. Right. It was amazing, though. It was good. Like, literally, like, sweat was on my head. <laughs> Just wiping. My, my lips were swollen. Mm. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it was, so, it really was good. It was awesome. It was so good. All right. All right, so are we going to start with Moses and the throne? Yeah. All right, cool. I preached a sermon. You take me there. Okay. I think that's a fair rule. So with that, gentlemen, let's find out in the rest of this episode if we are, in fact, living in the lap of luxury. Oh, that was your end. Isn't that good? Mm. Isn't that good? Mm. I don't know where that went, though, on my notes. Because I had it. Oh, there it is. It wasn't on my notes. It was in the text. So we had this podcast prior. Right. Where... We were working through, I was working through the word addendum, because if you look at Galatians, it says no one adds to a, it says to give a human example, brothers. No you have one, this whole section memorized now for working through it, sorry. And we, we, mis, we like misunderstand memorization. Hmm. Oh, yeah. It's like rote and repetition. Right. But mm-hmm. really, it's working true memorization yeah. like comes to make, to, comes to be owned. Yeah. It's like, this belongs to me now. Yeah. Yeah. So he says, to give a man-made example, brothers, no one annuls a covenant or adds to it once it's been ratified. Mm-hmm. And then he supplies, he supplies the protagonist of that example, if you will, as God. Mm-hmm. So, so then he, he drops on down later in Galatians and says, so why then was the law added? Mm. Well, you would take that to say, like, is he saying that it was added, but it wasn't added in the body? Mm-hmm. Like, like an amendment mm-hmm. inside the body mm-hmm. of a document, mm-hmm. as he's saying, he's not saying that because that would material materially change everything in that legal document. Right. So, is he saying why then was the law added? And he says it was added because he does say this. It mm-hmm. was added because, and you would think, oh, he's adding it as an addendum. So therefore, nothing materially changed inside the original covenant, and then it was like. Oh, bro, that's no. He's saying no one adds to it. Period. End of story. It's not. 
it's not a it's not an amendment and it's not an addendum. There's no addition to it. So when you look down into the word, why then was the law added? It's a bad like that's a, a different bad word than the word added in the yeah, previous. So if section. you go back, why to give a to give a human example, brothers, no one adds or nullifies or excuse me, no one adds to a previously ratified covenant. And so it's like he uses that word, add, and then the author comes back or the translator comes back and use why then was the law added? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring would come. Those two words are not the same. Add, add. They are in the English. dirty of the ESV. It It is. It's brought. Mm. Brought is the better word. Mm -hmm. Why then was the law brought? Mm. And it was brought... And you would say, well, then who was it brought to? It was put in place. Mm -hmm, He goes mm -hmm. on to say, it was brought to who? To Moses. Mm -hmm. It's put in place through intermediaries. And so that's where we landed. We landed like, oh, there's there's no addendum. Throw the word addendum out. That's a that's a bad word because that's not it's not biblically accurate. Right. I mean, if we're just going to unpack the whole episode that yeah. got burned, yeah. that, that's where we talked. That, that for is the four whole hours. episode. That's the whole episode of that's four it. hours. But but I think I do think that that's. I mean, the way that we speak about covenants is really important, and we have to speak about them. We have to be careful to speak about them in the way that the Bible uses covenant mm-hmm. and not the way that we use a contract or something of that nature, because there are distinctions. And the major thing that we have to be able to say is that these covenants are, especially when we're speaking of the covenant of grace, is the covenant of grace is signed, sealed, delivered, mm-hmm. right? It's, 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 there's nothing being changed or added to it at all. And one of the things that I thought about uh, the other day as we were, as I was just kind of continuing to think through it is, if it can have, if if the covenant of grace, the eternal covenant, can be changed at any point with an addendum or something of that nature, if it's if it's if something's added to it, why can't something be added to it now? Mm-hmm. And if that, it can be, if something can be added to it now, then we can completely nullify the gospel as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, no, no, no. The beauty of the eternality of the eternal covenant is it existed before the foundation of the world. Mm-hmm. It is overarching, and by that I mean like there are participants in it, even as they're making their way into the the deliver or the, the coming of the Messiah. Like if we would say Abraham, right? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was not his righteousness didn't come from the Abrahamic covenant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, as you get into the new covenant, it's like this is this has been here forever, not changed. And what and what Christ opens in Revelation is the eternal covenant. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I did this, so I can, who, who's worthy to open this? It's like the one who actually executed it. And he opened it by his blood. He inaugurates right. it by his blood. I think that's the other category that I was wanting to work through. Yeah. It's like, it was ratified. It was previously ratified. <clears throat> the question would be, mm. when was it ratified? It was ratified before creation. Mm. And it was in it was mm. inaugurated by the blood of Christ. Right. Mm-hmm. Because he says, he is now a mediator of a new covenant. Mm-hmm. And so it's important to know that that he establishes it ratified before, signed and sealed, delivered. His his saying is his doing, and then he inaugurates it by his blood. Because some people put the inauguration by blood and call it ratification. I sent you that article by John MacArthur. Grace to you. Yeah, I, I'll be honest, I didn't he, it, forgive me. He makes that correlation where he was like, the covenant was signed by the blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, brother, like, I, I wouldn't correlate those two things. Like, Scripture is clear that it was, I, I've come to do your will, O God, right. as it is written of right. me in the scroll of the book. Yeah. That's signed, boom. Yeah. And he says earlier in Hebrews, he says, to bring many sons to glory. Yeah, and that right. that's mm-hmm. to bring them to God. And right. so it's like at that point, what's he doing? He's inaugurating the 
the covenant. Right. And so the ratification, the signing of it has to be prior to um, creation. Right. And that's what you were just saying. Yeah. And the, the one thing, like, I don't know if we, we can direct this kind of however we want, but one of the things that I was like amped to get to um, was the concept of the law being like in, in the context of Galatians three, right? The law being our guardian. Mm-hmm. And one of the uses of the law that I think is often overlooked is it's identity. It's identifying use. Mm-hmm. So like when we're thinking about the way that the Are law you is really going to, you're really going to take, you're going to do this podcast. This what? is what you've wanted to do. This is what we were going to hold. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> He's not sorry. It's <laughs> not. My mom used to say, if you were sorry, you'd stop. I wanted to key in on, okay, so we didn't do the podcast on why then the law added as an addendum, because it wasn't added as an right. addendum. No one adds to the previously right. ratified covenant. We affirm. The, the, the word is, why then the law? Why was it brought? Right. It was brought to Moses. And it just so happens we're in Exodus. We are. And I wanted to talk about. Can I tell you what I thought about this week? The juxtaposition, because I think in the Western mind, often we think in comparisons and similarities. Fair. Right, okay. Blake? Yes. <laughs> Blake's texting. And you're here to save the podcast, Blake. my wife. <laughs> and Moses's ministry is a juxtaposition mm. of comparison to Christ. I love that word. Meaning Moses was a servant in mm. God's house. Christ is a son over a prophet, over. a ruler, a redeemer. Yeah. Big emphasis on yeah. a, not par excellence. Right, and you you said this thing. Do you want to do you want to rephrase, rephrase what you said? Sola day. Shut up. <laughs> How would you say that if you were going to say? Because if Moses was actually the fulfillment Soli, of the promise, it would have been solely Moses Gloria. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I haven't slept well since this happened. What's uh? What's Moses in Greek? It's not Greek, Greek, it's Latin. Latin. It's uh, Latin, I don't right? know. It be, yeah. I'm sure it's Moses. I don't know. <laughs> it's like, what's my name in Spanish? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. What's sad about this is this whole thing, like when I tell you I didn't catch it, just didn't catch it. Like I, I never thought another thing about it. I know. And I know. It, yeah. The point landed. It was a play on words. Yeah. It, it was, was intentional. Like, it's fine. Yeah. I, I, but look, yeah, I had to tell I talked, the brothers. Well, I talked to <laughs> you. Listen, did. You held up. I'm, listen, a, I'm using his name. Sometimes you just got to let it ride. Right. Yeah. It's fine. Right. Don't ruin a sermon in his yeah. mind. Yeah. Like the Maggie Plum. Oh, name Whoa. Right. Plum I've got one sent to add me to. the first sermon I ever preached here. <gasps> And I was like, that's some Julie energy. I, was like, <laughs> I said, I, I don't want to listen to that. <laughs> I don't want to listen to my first sermon here, full disclosure. And apparently I was more country back in 2018. <laughs> Were you actually? Yeah. You, it's like, uh, I well, you did spend some time in Memphis. I did. I got, <laughs> that's interesting. I got some of it you, you had been in the Delta. Yeah. And she sent it to me. And it was the first time, it was the first time we attended church here. The first time you preached here was the first time you attended? Yes, brother. Oh, I had really never heard you preach what? other than on a podcast. This mm. man. I didn't know what to expect. Let me say something. Lawson in 2017 was not an intelligent man. And it was 2018. Hey, brother, at least, though, at least though you don't have sermons recorded where you're <laughs> screeching like a woman. <laughs> <laughs> Take your Bibles! <laughs> So like Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> Beth was watching Mrs. Hello. Beth was watching Mrs. Doubtfire the other day. I literally couldn't stop thinking about it. Okay. All right. Hello. Um,
Anyway, so I'm at coffee yesterday, and Luke says, Luke says to me, say his name, Luke Full Johnson. Name. Luke Johnson, thank you. He says to me, he says, you felt he, and he wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong. He walked up to me. He said. He said that ending was good. You feel good about it? I said, I, I do feel good about it, actually, <laughs> because I don't plan my intros or conclusions. Mm. Um, that one just off the dome. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And he and I said, I, I literally said, I said, that one just kind of came off the head, off the top of the head. And he was like, you know, you said to, uh, you know, you said to the, to the Moses of God alone, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, uh, why? I mean, you want to talk about why? like that moment where you just, your whole face washes out. Yeah. Like, and, I want to go crawl in a hole right yeah, now. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's boats and ghouls level. Yeah. I don't know. It's probably worse. It's worse. It's worse. <laughs> so I told on myself on Twitter so that no one would be able to, like I, I read, or my mom always told me, if you tell on yourself, it won't be as bad. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So, so the reason why the podcast is titled "I Didn't Go to Small Group, but I Did Go to Big Church" mm-hmm. is because immediately following the sermon, and I've learned this. I've learned this. You never approach the pastor, the preacher, mm-hmm. immediately after the sermon and say anything other than that. Thank was you great. for your labors, Blessed me. If you ever add anything, it's it can be taken. That's like, uh, is this a critique? Is that all you were thinking about while right, I was preaching? Right. <laughs> what, what you were thinking about? Well, sorry, I always assume that you're you're gone in elsewhere. another stratosphere. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> totally different zip code. So I pull, uh, you know, like there's small talks fine, right? But we've talked about on this podcast before that fellowship is, you know, has a depth to it, it. has a substance to yeah, it. Yeah, where it's like. And so, you know, we made the we made the uh, informal talky talk, you know, between me, Charles, and Joel. And then I hit him with, bro, that throne, that mm. Moses being offered a throne in Egypt and saying, thanks, but no thanks, and I'm choosing the reproach of Christ was a biblical category that changed my life. You literally text me and said, I'll never be the same. I'll never be the same, dude. <laughs> it's like so much in Hebrews from the New Testament's mm. perspective going back to the narrative of Moses, bro. To be fair, I, I don't want to, I'm not trying to brush your bubble. I just want to ask a question. Yeah, yeah. I'm here for this. You I presented it as just as conjecture. conjecture right? Yes. It, it must be only conjecture. Right. It must okay. be only I'm just, conjecture. I want to, because like, I do want to be careful. Yeah. I'm I'm full. I'm I'm diving in. <laughs> Don is like Don has drunk now. the Kool Aid of yeah. Moses being the next yeah. Pharaoh, but like that is mere conjecture. It, it right? is. It is the. It is the account of Josephus. Sure. Yeah. So I, I can say that. So not Bible. So so here's Bible, where I'm at. So, so we're going to chase this down on this podcast, and you tell me. <laughs> If it's conjecture or not. <laughs> so here's the thing. This is the reason. This is the reason I kind of I, I kind of got sold on. I it. appreciate like, the I conjecture. Have, I yeah. appreciate the title of. Yeah, it. I wouldn't have even brought it to brought it to to light if it did not bring such clarity. But I think the way yeah, that he yeah, tabled I it. I think the way that he tabled it. He tabled it as conjecture. That's fine if you want to do that. If you want to leave it leave it open to interpretation. <laughs> Don's not. <laughs> but I, I think there again. It goes back. How do you compare Moses and Christ? It's yeah. by juxtaposition. Yeah. I agree okay. wholeheartedly. Okay. So there's just like, <laughs> there's there's an implied conclusion in the way when you begin to compare and contrast Moses and Christ. And it's like, oh, bro. I do think even if he wasn't Pharaoh, it still works. 
in the sense that m- mm. much like Joseph, he was an heir. Joseph wasn't Pharaoh, but he okay. But Me- Moses was an heir to something. To something, yeah, belonging to Pharaoh. the royal family. Of course, okay, yeah. I'm here. I'm here for. I'm that. here for that. He says. All right, so here we go. You ready? Mm-hmm. We're gonna go through old school. This is old school POG where Don types out notes. Is this and what we you read us? a little bit? Yeah, we read a little bit. We chatty chat a little bit. I'm here so for it. So it's like we're standing as three participants on Sunday Should after I, service, and we're just we're just spitballing after the sermon, okay. talking about how it blessed me. All right, sweet. Take All me right. there. But you're not Joel and Charles. You are Lawson and Blake. Worst company. Here we go. <laughs> Moses was offered a throne in the kingdom of Egypt and its glory, but chose exile in the wilderness because he had an abiding inheritance. And I said, that throne being offered to Moses was a piece of theology by which so much falls into place, doctrinally speaking. Yeah. Why do you think that? I think it helps us categorize the riches of Egypt better, mm-hmm. um, which is the the passage from Hebrews 11. Uh, and, and the re- here's what I'll say, just to, just as clarity. Even if, Jos- even if Josephus was wrong about who the who Pharaoh was, I still think that the 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 proposition remains that there is someone, it, it is possible for Moses to have taken the throne in Egypt. Like his, it, yeah. it, he could have made his way there. He had a route. And what you see, period, is a rejection of that route. And so the reason that he rejects it is because what Hebrews 11 says, I think it's verse 26, that says he counts the reproach of Christ as more valuable, as worth more than all the riches of Egypt. And that's the important uh, correlation there because he's looking at wealth, prestige, power, and authority, and he he essentially says, I don't want that. Mm-hmm. I want the greater wealth, mm-hmm. which I think is an, I think it's a good counting of cost. I also think that it's an appropriate understanding of the temporal nature of earthly riches and earthly wealth. And, it says, yeah. Uh, 1124 by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God, um, <clears throat> with the people of God, uh, than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Mm. Yes, I also place this idea of that the wealth of Egypt was being amassed through the enslavement mm. of the Israelite people. Right. So they were living in the lap of luxury at the, the, at the expense. Yeah. Yes, the Egyptians at the expense of the people of God, if you will, because you can go back and say they were commanded to build store storehouses. One was in... Oh, bro, bro. Uh, Starts with an R, an R. Ramses and Pitum. Yeah, it's like, bro, they're putting all of that. Like it was slave labor in the fact that it was they were they were reaping what they were sowing, right? And so they were they were amassing all of this wealth, and you would have to think that, like, I mean, Moses looks at that opportunity to live inside the royal family. And again, like we would say, the fleeting pleasures of sin. Mm-hmm. Why would we call that? Why Why would we call that fleeting pleasures of sin? If because it couldn't have been partaken of in a God honoring way. It couldn't. Literally, couldn't have. Mm-mm. And I mean, you even think like you are not. There is no sin in being born into a wealthy home, right? And to the enjoyment of wealth. In in Moses's case, it would have been a, a clear violation of the command of God for his life. He would have been clearly mm-hmm. fleeing from that which is good and right. And I also think that the manner of life of the Egyptians would have been a rather sinful manner of life. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking about them worshiping 
um, these these gods of all the hosts of heaven, horrendous, yeah. horrendous deities, and I'm using that term loosely. That that I mean, the way in which things came to fruition were always through sinful, wicked acts, even in the realm of gods, lowercase g. And so to say that they wouldn't have conducted themselves in this, in this very same way would be a stretch. They would have it would have been a wicked and sinful manner of life in the day-to-day that Moses would have essentially been required to partake of. Moses wasn't Joseph. Like, Joseph was set up in his identity based upon the fact that he identified himself and worshipped the God of Israel. Moses was set up in contradiction to that. Mm. So you get this you get this juxtaposition idea of comparing Christ and Moses. You, you pull it from... An apostolic hermeneutic found in Second Corinthians chapter three. Yeah, and that and so if anybody's wanting to know, like, hey, where 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 is this juxtaposition at? Mm-hmm. And it goes on to say, uh, who has made us sufficient? Sufficient. Excuse me, I can't read today. Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit? For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Here's the first juxtaposition. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? And so it bounces back and forth, back and forth. So my next my next comment, this, this whole throne concept, Christ's final temptation in the wilderness. Yep. Have you ever thought about this? Yep. Okay. We, we brought this up at small group. Hey. So Christ's final temptation in the wilderness was with all the kingdoms of the world in their glory, every yep. throne of every place at all times. And I, I make mention, he has the throne in the glory. Yeah, the the whole premise of the temptation is you can have it, but you can't have it that way. And in the but like that, that's Satan's temptation, right? It's like, well, I can give you these things, but you can't do it the way that 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 God has called you to do it. What? And there's, I mean, there's even connections there between like if he gets it that way. He forfeits the people. Well, yeah, but I'm saying the people of God, he doesn't bring them out with him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He leaves them in slavery. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. And so, So, go ahead. So the the Bible verse that that was brought to my mind, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne, at the throne of God. Mm-hmm. So it makes me think like also in 2.18 of Hebrews, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, mm-hmm. he is able to help those who are being oh, tempted. This... Sorry, go ahead. So would you say that, I mean, there has to be a temptation of, of Moses in a sense, right? To stay in Egypt, living in the lap of luxury. I mean, place the throne aside and say it's conjecture. No, I think there obviously there's temptation there. You I have there to was, assume. Yeah, but there's also temptation, and you can see it in chapter three of Exodus. Mm-hmm. The temptation to just stay in the wilderness and, yep. and, oh, and raise his family and not go back there. And not circumcise your son. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, all of it. Yeah. All of it, yeah. yeah there's, there's obvious temptation the whole way through. And again, like... I think one of the primary reasons you have such a stark contrast in, uh, in Exodus 2 with Moses killing the Egyptian with the way that God actually chooses to deliver. And even then, like Blake's coming text for this week, um, which is, uh, what is it, Exodus 2, 23 through 25? Indeed. Um, like you've got a contrast there of Moses's seeing and beholding and God seeing and beholding and God knowing. And so like Moses's frailty is meant to be identified. And I'm in, in, and it is, I think it is a foreshadowing of the entirety of his ministry, but, but 
as you're looking at it, you do see the insufficiency and the failures of Moses. Mm. And you see temptation, not just not just temptation come, but temptation bow to. Like in Jesus's in like the juxtaposition here that you're making reference to, you know, Jesus isn't tempted by the way that Moses is tempted in the sense, like Moses is tempted inwardly in the mm. sense that he sees that he says, I'll take vengeance. Mm. God, Jesus is tempted from Satan himself in mm. the wilderness, and as he's tempted, Christ stands perfect and doesn't. And, and instead of doing as he's tempted by by Satan, instead of doing what Satan desires, he says, "I have I have food that you don't know about." Which is I'm pulling this from John six, but he's saying, "My will is to do, or my my food is to do the will of Him who sent me." Mm. And that's where he rests, and that's where he resides. When Moses, I think you see his laying forth of imperfection intentionally. So like the bigger picture here, when you back up from like watching Moses and watching the, him reject, if you will, the, the lap of luxury, I, I'll yeah. we can go as far as say the throne if yeah. you want to and say, and I, think, I, I think the throne premise stands, even if Josephus is wrong. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I draw correlation through the wilderness temptation of yeah. Christ and yeah. those thrones yeah. and saying oh, that like that builds out that category for me. What was I saying? I'm sorry, bro. I shouldn't have done it. Oh, big picture. So when you back up, it's like, you know, Moses goes out to the wilderness, right? And we were saying, we heard preach, like he was er- he was early to the scene, right? Yep. In his trying to determine between brothers and taking, quote unquote, vengeance into himself. He's mm-hmm. like, surely the people of Israel know, right? That I'm a I'm here to ruler deliver. and redeemer yeah. and, and I'm here to set him free, if you will. And so... um you know, he goes out to the wilderness, right? He's tempted by this throne, stay living in the lap of luxury, but instead chooses the reproach of Christ, right. goes into the wilderness in obedience. And it's like, why, like, you know, in in Romans, Paul mentions in Romans 9, so that the purpose of election may continue. And mm-hmm. I think the story, the, like the granular story of Moses can we can sometimes forget like these like these big pictures like why mm-hmm. like why would why would God send him into exile until uh, the right time yeah and it's like the right time was at the same time like why were they not ready to go into Canaan because he says the sin of the Amorites was not, not yet full. full right so it's this generation right it's this generation of these children which you could argue were not even yet born. Oh, in the in the narrative of Moses leaving Egypt, hundred percent weren't born yet. Yeah, like they're not. Like because yeah. the that, people who actually make their way to the promised land are not born. Are not born yet. Well, because I was reading Acts seven thirty says uh, Joshua and Caleb save Joshua and Caleb. Sure, and and yeah, Julie yeah, and I yeah. were talking about this at lunch, yeah. and I'm like, you have to be careful in painting in big, taking big broad categories like that, and then making them exclusive. Yeah, you know what I'm saying yeah. because it's like. Oh well, then that means there's certainly exemptions. Probably there are exemptions, yeah. but there is a there is a category here, and we'll f- keep on this conversation yeah. to get there. What were you gonna say? Uh, I was gonna say you said in seven Acts seven thirty puts numbers to Exodus two twenty three, which is during those many days. Acts seven thirty says it was forty more years. Yeah, mm. so he's forty when he leaves, and he's forty when he comes back. Eighty. So he's eighty. He's yeah, eighty when he leaves. About. Yep. 40 plus 40. Yeah. yeah. Math. Math. I can, I, I can I maybe an English teacher, <laughs> but I know math. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think the interesting thing that I'll, I, I, I may not bring this out in, in my next text, but 
you know, the reason that God calls him out or the question that I think can be asked is, um, well, I'll do the first part. So the, so in him being called out to the wilderness, I think there is a preparatory intention there. Certainly. Like, like it's, it's a fault to say that everyone arrives with perfection, but I still think that if we, if we met Paul when he was before his conversion, we'd be like, why are you acting like this? Mm-hmm. It's like, no, 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 no. Like this is pre-converted fall. Like he's not who, he's not who wrote Romans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in the very same way, like you get to, you get to, uh, you know, numbers and you're reading about Moses and, and what's taking place there. Let's say just in regard to like, um, like Korah's rebellion. Like who is Think about though. Yeah. Sorry. No, think, think about Jethro. Yeah, exactly. Jethro's father-in-law yeah. like had a huge impact on him. He had that man for 40 years. In the, he had a huge impact on all of Israel's that's history. Because he set up judges. Exactly. He helped him make his ability to judge. Right. Um, delegated. Right. He built a delegate. He's fascinating to me. He is a really interesting Because character. like, did he believe in Yahweh? Yes. When Moses yeah. went out there. The yeah, I think time. so. 100%. He just seems to have like a... Ties back to Genesis 6, Blake. I agree, but he seems to have some kind of pantheistic situation going on. Mm. Well, we can get there. I'm just saying we don't well, have to get there today. Yeah, but so I think like a lot of this has to do with what we do with the book of Job. Yeah. Um, are we going to chase this rabbit? Well, <laughs> yeah, so no, we're not. We're not going to chase the rabbit. But um, like the way, the, way that he leads, the way that he leads himself or the way that he goes out to the wilderness is like Moses, you see God, yeah, the okay. way, you see God taking Moses and preparing him. I was reading earlier this week, just working through my coming text is um, like the way in which God takes each of these men that he uses and he mm-hmm. does prepare them. And it, and it is, I think it's helpful for us to, 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 re, to be reminded that these aren't mythical figures. Mm-hmm. They're men. Mm-hmm. And and just like if you would have met me when I was 15, or if you listen to my first sermon when I was 15 years old, you'd be like, I'd never go to that guy's church. He's an idiot. And that's perfectly fine. And you're mm-hmm. right. You shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's like God matures, God grows, and he's He's essentially making us into who he intends us to be so that we can serve the, serve the kingdom to the best of our ability mm-hmm. and that we don't arrive there. And the other thing, sorry, the other thing is I got asked, well, how do you look at this and say Moses has faith, and then you see his wickedness? And I was like, "Oh, really? I was like, this is actually really easy. Have 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 you conducted yourself perfectly since you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ?" <laughs> and it's like it it really does show the, the the uniqueness of saying Moses in the moment is believing the Lord, is trusting in Him, is believing that the riches of Egypt are not worth to be compared to the future to the glories of Christ. And yet, to still bearing the reproach of Christ, right. and, to join in yeah, his suffering, to go down into that, and at the very same time, he'd do it wrong. Mm. That's not a mm. surprise to me. That's right. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be a surprise to any of because us because he's a yeah. member of a he's an heir of a preeminent covenant, exactly, which is yeah. of all grace. Yeah, mm. yeah. And like, if I don't it was, yeah, I don't yeah. know why are we getting into work? Like I get yeah, that, yeah. like he's in a moment of sanctification, and we right. should hold to that. Definitely yeah. not. What's that word where we preach licentiousness? There's a word antinomian. Yeah. I don't know yeah. why we play all that. All right, so I say there is a theme of inheritance here. Moses rejects the position of firstborn of Pharaoh. He then returns, and I say Pharaoh, firstborn of Pharaoh, but it's firstborn of Pharaoh's daughter. Right. Okay. He then returns and will pronounce judgment of the cutting off of all inheritance. In the verses, Exodus eleven five, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill and all of the firstborn of the cattle. 
I tied that to Romans 8, 17, and it says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I make that correlation because Christ is going to save his people, right? Mm-hmm. Like Moses is going to save his people. We can draw we can draw a comparison there. But I think like when I think about Exodus, and this is going to be kind of corny, I think about Charlton Heston. I really do like that movie. Like, I think we think like in these big, like all of these people were saved and Hebrews does say that in Hebrews, I think chapter three, it was like, who were all those who left Egypt with Moses? And he gives you all, he gives you all of the fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, and then children. Mm. But he specifically draws in Hebrews 3 that there is a unique identifier in that generation of children, Mm. like that Christ is going to save the children. So Hebrews 2.14 starts this, starts this comparison now. He says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. And you could say, well, he's talking about just in general, the children of God. But, but it would be like, peculiar language. It would be, but it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's rooted in a biblical context. The question is, what is the context? And it goes on to say, so I say, Moses leads the people of Israel out of Egypt, but more importantly, it's the generation of the children to which the New Testament points as a type of Christian identity. Mm-hmm. You fine with that? Yeah. So listen to Joshua 5, 4 through 7. I'm fine with that because of Hebrews. Yeah. yeah. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them all. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt perished because they did not obey the the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. Bro, they were covenant breakers. It's just wild to me, bro. Like, like what a clear indication mm-hmm. that the parents were covenant breakers. That's wild. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, and the whole yeah. time they're there, bro, their shoes aren't wearing out. Their God, God's aren't. still demonstrating faithfulness to Abraham. Because they're going to enter into the promised land. The children are going to enter these these mm-hmm. covenant breaking. Look, at, hold on. I mean, I, look, I know that we're going to, it's very easy for us to look back on them and think, my yeah. goodness, what a... What a Backseat drive them, armchair quarterback. But it, but it is. I think it's intended to be a, a uniquely clear picture. The according New Testament to says, yeah. it says... Like these people, yeah. hard-hearted, wicked people. And what the reason it's Stephen so, gets stoned for that. Exactly. I mean, he's calling, he's saying, <laughs> he says, yeah. not only are the children are a living testimony yep. of who belongs to the Lord today, the fathers who rebelled in the wilderness, yep. it's just like Jude saying, when You're you just go like the way of yep. Cain, when yep. you go in Korah's rebellion, yep. when you go in Balaam's error, when you act like the fathers in the yep. wilderness, you hard hearted people who always resist the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I think you And see, he yeah. says, and who did not keep the law? Yeah. He yep. judges them under the law. He does. Bro. He smashes them. It's really, it's a really fun sermon. Um, I tell everybody, I told a couple people that there were two sermons that were preached on Sunday, <laughs> and one was better than the other. That was a lot. <laughs> it was, was Stephen. And it was Stephen's sermon. My nose started running a little bit. I had a tickle in the back of my throat, <laughs> and you know, it's just going to throw the people off if you like move the mic and do it. <clears throat> you know. Yeah. You can't do that. Yeah. You have to just go. Got to power through. <laughs> so. Um, 
So Hebrews picks back up this theme of children from Hebrews 2.14. Remember Hebrews 2.14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. So it picks it back up and carries it through the wilderness story in Hebrews 3, specifically Hebrews 3.16-19. And it says, For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. I love that. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think I text y'all when I was when we were starting Exodus, and I was like, how fun is it that Exodus 2 is before Exodus 3? Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. talking about the difference between, like Exodus 3 is talking about the difference between the superiority of Christ compared to Moses. Well, really, Hebrews 1 jumps out. Yeah, but you keep saying Exodus and you mean Hebrews. I do. Thank you. Words are hard. Um, But Hebrews 2 lays out the actual Exodus of Christ, and then it goes directly into why Jesus's Exodus is superior Mm -hmm. to Moses's Exodus, Mm -hmm. and it actually ends uniquely with Jesus being the better Joshua too. That's right. And Mm -hmm. so it's like, Jesus not only fulfills the ministry of Moses, he fulfills the ministry of Moses and Joshua mm. because neither Moses nor Joshua could have done both. That's right. Because they were on a they were on a, a timeline. Yep. They were going to die. Yep. They were not going to be able to do the work necessary, nor were they of the appropriate substance to 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 bring about the greater so exodus. Hebrews, Hebrews actually reaches back to two sixteen, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, mm-hmm. marches those children through the Exodus and says, who were those who rebelled? It wasn't the children. It was the fathers who fell in the wilderness. Yep. Then it moves it and actually places that category of children inside the ministry of Joshua because he says in Hebrews 4, 9, so then there remain, excuse me, 4, 8, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would have not spoken of another day later on. The question is, who is them? Mm. 4, 9 supplies that and says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. This this children, this mm-hmm. group of children, are the people of God. Hebrews yeah. 2.16 yeah. flows them all the way through Hebrews yeah. 3, moves them into the Sabbath rest that Joshua offered and calls them them, the people yeah. of God. And it, they would not have been spoken of their rest to be given had Joshua given them a consummating rest. Yeah, actual, that he yeah. speaks of another day later on. This this then becomes a spiritual category. Yeah, and, it, and, it, and it's it's a spiritual category that is... Uh, that's linear. It's meant to be a narrative that's picture right, that runs itself yeah, all it, the way yeah. through, and it brings you all the way into John one, right? Mm. So, mm. <laughs> hold on, okay, finish. All right, one name we know for the people of God are those he are those who he gave the right to become children of God. Right? How does he give us the right? Born again by the blood and will of God, which is covenant sworn, covenant inaugurated. See, it comes full circle. Yep. Um, Back to the original conversation, which circles right back to inheritance, a preeminent covenant to which Moses belonged to. Right. He awaited the one to whom would inaugurate the promise made to Abraham for surely. Yeah. Here's the Shirley's. He helps the offspring of Abraham. (laughs) Who are the offspring of Abraham? The children. Right. Those who are connected to Abraham by faith. That's right. Mm -hmm. He helps those in the wilderness. Who are they? The children. He helps those who enter the land of rest. Who are they? The children. Why not? Why not just have Moses go at any old time to Egypt? 
there's a theme carried over from Genesis. Whatever is meant for evil, God uses for good. Mm -hmm. And so there's, again, that idea of the children were not yet, were not yet a, can we say, like, a identity within the narrative of Moses that you then see carried forward. Because Moses is going, like, you you made the comment, why not just set the Israelites free right then? Inside of uh, inside, inside of the Exodus argument, yeah, yes. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. why go to the wilderness for yeah. forty years? Yeah. To me, it's like the there's there's work to be done. It's not God's time. It's not God's way. And God's man in this particular case, Moses, needs to be prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, and needs to be prepared in such a way that it's not just a an act of his might, but instead it's a dependence upon the might of God and the act of deliverance. Um, yeah, certainly. I also think there's a there's a there's categories introduced in Exodus where you've got judgment given to a, to a specific generation and you've got salvation given to a specific generation. Mm-hmm. So for instance, you, you have four generations from the time of, um, from the, the throwing of the boys into the Nile to the point of um, the death of the firstborn. Like you're looking at four generations. The reason I think that's important is because Exodus 34, 6 and 7 tells us the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, a God who forgives sin, trespass and iniquity, but visits the iniquity of the fathers and the children's children to the third and to the fourth generation. And so I think he's laying out the premise of, I don't forget. Mm-hmm. I don't forget. Um, and he and he does. He executes both judgment and he executes salvation. And he does so specifically for that generation that's being made reference to. And I think inside that generation, what we find is those whom he foreknew, Mm-hmm. He predestined mm-hmm. to be conformed to the image of his son, right? In order that he might be firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined, he called, and those who he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now I would go as far as to say the children are called in order that God's purpose of election might continue. You know, what I'm saying like it's looking at this perpetual generation of children, right, who were not yet born in the land of Egypt. And God foreknew mm-hmm. to predestine. They were elected unto salvation. And this goes into that whole thought process. You're saying of, thematically. Yes, okay. yes. That I'm saying that in the end, like Moses is a participant because he right. goes back and looks at bearing the reproach of Christ mm-hmm. in the wilderness rather than enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. Right. Again, going back to say, he looks at the one to whom has the true throne, the, th- the true glory and that he is going to serve in his ministry. Yeah, to serve in the house. Yes. Yeah, mm. yeah. So how does he serve? How does Moses serve? Mm. You do this one. Mm. Don't, don't think. This is where you wanted to talk about Moses a minute ago. Well, I think when we're thinking about the way that Moses, so the question is, is Moses still a servant in the house? Mm-hmm. So we would say, yes, Moses is still a servant in the house. Yeah, that that leads to us to ask the question: Well, how is Moses then a, still a servant in the house? And we he has brought the law, right? So, so John one, right? <laughs> well, I think I think John one again is maybe the best place to go for this, just for the sake of clarity, is what what came by Moses or what was given to Moses. So you're looking at um, uh, John one seventeen. We'll take sixteen for from his fullness. Speaking of Christ, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So, like, we understand that the law did come come to Moses, right? Um, and as it and as it came to Moses, it had purpose, and it had purpose then. It has purpose now, and and that's um, that is a debated statement. What I just said, I don't think it needs to be a debated statement. I think that it is, but I, I mean, I know that it is, but I don't think it needs to be a debated statement. Moses, Moses still is a servant in the sense of what he was delivered. Um, he was delivered the law of God, and there's two ways that we can break that down. You can either break it down into moral law and positive law, or you can break it down into tripartite where yes. you can say moral law, civil law, ceremonial law. Either or is acceptable. Positive law just breaks down into civil and ceremonial. Um, but the question that really has to be asked is, okay, how then do we use this? Mm-hmm. Like as we're, we're, not, we're not inside of the Mosaic Covenant, like we as Christians are not. We're brought into the new covenant. We're under the federal head of, federal head of Christ. So what then, what's use is it? Well, Galatians tells us very clearly that it's added because of transgression. So as to identify that we are needy before God and that we are indeed sinners, that is to say that it is a, um, that it is a mirror. Um, it's intended to show us um, who we actually are. Um, and so it's, it's a teacher, it's a, a guardian, it's a schoolmaster, it's a tutor. There's, Can I give you a verse? Yeah, sure. Um, Jesus says Moses is, like Moses is red. Like, and if you had listened to Moses. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you would, would. Well, you've got two. Sorry, you, you mixed verses there a little bit. So one, when Moses is read, there's either a veil covering your face. There isn't. Right. Right. And then the other one is, if you would have listened to Moses, you'd have listened to me. Yes. Yeah. So. Which is a condemnation. On the Pharisees. Yes. And saying like, you have not listened to Moses. At all. So the question is, what is Moses saying? Yeah. Moses telling you that you need something better. That's right. Yeah, he's, mm-hmm. he's condemning you under the weight of the law. Right. I mean, even, even, the, even the teachers that are He's increasing the trespass. Absolutely. He's increasing the trespass, and not only, not only is he increasing the trespass, if you take the whole of the covenant, he's also identifying the means by which you will be redeemed. Mm. Like he's telling you, okay, here's why you need to be redeemed. Here's the means of redemption. It will be through a priestly ministry and a sacrificial ministry. And so as those things are laid out, it's like if you want fellowship with God, if you want to continue to have God in your midst, you can only do that through... Um, through a perfectly righteous life, which you've all failed at, or through redemption. And so he lays out the means by which redemption will come with, through a priestly ministry and through a sacrificial ministry, Christ being the, filf- the fulfillment of both these. He is most interestingly the priest and the sacrifice um, and the altar. But anyway, so as you're working through the, the ministry of Moses in its, current, in, its, in its current day, you have the teacher use. It's meant to tell you like, you are in need of a Messiah. You're in need of a Redeemer. And anyone who has ever looked at, will just take the moral law, anyone who has ever looked at the moral law and thought to themselves, I've crushed this, mm. is blind, is a blind man. Mm. Um, uh, you, you, can, you can be the best man that has ever lived on this planet and you have broken every single one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and because you've broken every single one of those, you need a redeemer. So it serves that purpose ex- ex- extraordinarily well. There's a reason like one of, the, one of the best or one of the most prominent evangelistic tactics of today is to walk someone through the Ten Commandments and show them as they say, no, I believe I'm a good person. This is the way of the master, Ray Comfort, uh, and his ministry. And it, what it does is identifies the fact that they're in desperate need. Um, because they're like, no, I'm a good person. And, and normally the question starts, well, what do you think it takes to get to heaven? And the first thing they say, as does the majority of all humanity, be a good person. Mm-hmm. Well, let's find out if you are. And he holds the law up to them and says, how are you doing? Bad. I'm doing bad. Um, and so it serves that purpose and it does so excellently. And it does that to this very day. Um, 
But, you know, so that's one. One of the ways that I think the law is often not used but should be used, and I think it's the way that it's used inside the pages of the New Testament, um, specifically inside the Gospels, um, is a way by which we may identify the Messiah. So can I? Yeah. I think it's another like interesting comparison and, and contrast when you take like Moses's fleeing of Egypt, right? Bearing the reproach of Christ in mm-hmm. the wilderness. Yeah. And inside this wilderness, right? In, in a sense, like he comes back to the people to bring them out and deliver them the law, right? Mm. And it's like with Christ, like when you look at this temptation that he faces in the wilderness and the last one being every throne, right? And he says, no. Then what, what happens on the other side of that? Like, it, like we forget this, mm. like the, the, the parallel passage is like, he immediately goes up on the Sermon on the Mount mm-hmm. and takes that, takes that codified law and unpacks every spirit of every commandment mm-hmm. and says, now, how are you doing? Yep. Which, which to me is like the appropriate, he's demonstrating yeah. the way of Christ and the appropriate use of the law. That's right. Absolutely. And that's why Paul would say in Galatians, do you not listen to the law? Because right. it's loud. It is. The rhetorical, I mean, the, the, the answer is there that you utter to yourself is like, well, yes, I learned from the law. Yeah. Okay. Well, you don't submit to the law. He's saying don't submit to the law again as to a yoke of slavery. Right. Because if you do, circumcision, he says, is of no value right, to you. You right. will be cut off from Christ because right. they're adding, they're adding that work of circumcision as right. saying, I must also be Christ and and, yeah. and no one, no one's saying Christ and the law. Mm-hmm. But we are saying there the law is a servant to the ministry of life. Yeah, the way I think about it is you don't light it on fire. Yeah. Like I think about I mean uh, a simple way to think about it is like in my in in my moving from in my moving from uh, slavery to sin to the kingdom of Christ, the law doesn't become bad, right? It's never been bad. Um, this is the purpose of Romans chapter seven. Mm-hmm. Romans seven is literally telling you it's not bad. It's holy. It's good. It's right. And it's an, and it's so long as it's used lawfully. There 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 are very clear ways in which the law is used unlawfully. If you're using the law as a, as as a self justif- justifying tool, Galatians has already spoken to this. Mm-hmm. It's a, this is it was never given for this. It was not given so that you might declare yourself righteous. Uh, Galatians three, I think I think says that pretty loudly to us. But when we're looking at it, we we have to understand that it doesn't become a bad thing when I make my way out of slavery. And, and look, we affirm. Romans 6 and 7 is absolutely true that you were in slavery to sin and you were in bondage to the law. Mm-hmm. Bondage to the law is essentially a statement that you are bound to the consequences of the law. Mm-hmm. Um, the beauty of Christ the is- the record of death. That's right. And the beauty of Christ is that in, in his death, he both simult- he simultaneously frees us from slavery to sin and bondage to the consequence of the law through one act. And, and that's the, the beauty of Christ's atoning work is it frees you from sin and it frees you from its consequences. The law lays out the consequences really clearly to us. And so in the work of Christ, he frees us from those things and he brings us into the new covenant. He doesn't take the law and then light it on fire and burn it and say, this has no value whatsoever anymore. We would also have difficulty taking passages like Second uh, uh, Timothy, where it makes reference to all scripture is breathed out and profitable for, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And the list goes on. Like it has intended uses. We just need to make sure that we're using it lawfully. 
Um, and so it's a teacher is, is, is first and foremost, it shows us our need. Galatians again is very clear on this. Um, and, but it also like where, where we got in that conversation is maybe, maybe Galatians four one is, is helpful. It says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child is no different from a slave, mm-hmm. though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until this date set by his father in the same way we also, right? When we were enslaved under the law and under its consequences, although although being a child, right? right, Until this date, and the date is, what happens on this date? Faith well, the comes. scripture yeah, goes forward and says, before faith came, we were held captive. Mm-hmm. So when faith comes, and how is faith delivered to us? It's delivered that God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts by whom we cry, Abba, Father, thus identifying ourselves as a, as a child, yeah, right? Absolutely. A child of God, an heir, an mm-hmm. heir, an heir and co-heir with Christ. And that to me is the, is the way that the law mm. is used is to say, oh, I see this record of debt yeah. and yet I, it points me to the one to whom kept it perfectly. Yeah, I think I think sticking to the thematics of Galatians, we would say that we're children of promise. Mm-hmm. Like we're not a children of the slave woman. We're, a chil- we're we're children of the promise. That's right. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I mean, it clearly clearly identifies us, um, or it, it continues to maintain its purpose as we cry, "Abba, Father." We, it shows us that we are in sin. And again, this is kind of like the debate of what's the first cry of the Christian: "I'm a sinner" or "God is Father." Um, and it's like, we can, we can debate those, but why don't we just say both? Mm. Like it's both. It's like, we cry that we're sinners. We profess that we're in need. And at the very same time, we're met with a loving father who, Mm. who has by his grace redeemed and reconciled us to himself in the body of his beloved son. Um, what are the other ways that you believe that the law identifies? Yeah. So Christ, I agree. So I want to hit these, I want to hit these two so that I can leave them and I can go to the one that I really want to deal with. Um, but I, th- I think these are important. So like, I think this maintains, I think this is still true to this day. Uh, so this is, this is the civil use. A second purpose of the law is the restraint of evil. Mm-hmm. So that is to say that the, that the law, the ministry of Moses does not, does not die in the sense that it no longer has a purpose in restraining evil. I think in the world, in the, well, I think in the world and also even in the individual, like even in the, even yes, in the professor Christian, yeah, yeah. right? Like when I, when but I, I think read, we were, but we were, we were identifying though a very, specific salvific purpose in which the law right so tutor is one yes the second for the christian for the christian specifically right i think i think i think in one sense though it maintains its its tutelage is that a right is that the is that that right blake okay it maintains its tutelage anyway to, to all the world telling them their need right one sees it by the spirit that's right right um but the the other use is the restraint what tutelage means guardianship it's not the same thing as tutoring. Anyway, okay. Um, so you catch my drift. So the civil, the civil Sola day Moses. Yeah, the, you got it. So the civil you, use that it restrains evil. In the, it, the reality is, it does restrain evil. Like in the Christian, especially, we see that it, it maintains its position of restraining evil. It's not difficult for me to look at the Christian and say. Um, if you've professed faith in Christ inside of the new covenant, does it have the purpose of restraining evil? If I look at a Christian and I tell them God is, God is um, against and has ruled that this is sinful and wicked based upon the fact that this text says thou shalt not bear false witness. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. That it, it serves as a purpose to restrain evil, to convict the sinner, mm-hmm. um, and even to convict the Christian in the midst of his sin. And so we certainly continue to use it for that purpose. I'm never abashed to take um, to take the the tenth commandment as I'm watching someone in their covetousness, longing for something that God has not given them to tell them. You are playing with something incredibly dangerous that God has explicitly called evil. It's against His very character and nature, and so forsake it. Right? I or, think, or yeah. the way that Christ takes murder mm. and says, "If you have hatred in your heart yeah. for your mm-hmm. brother, you're Absolutely. guilty of murder." Right? It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Like at that point, it's like that has all sorts of practical applications, yeah. both for anybody living in the world, yep. to the, the to those of us who are in Christ. Mm, absolutely. You know? I mean, you think about it in the percent in the in the concept of like Jesus understanding very clearly and teaching us that thou shalt not commit murder. It essentially, is telling you that you're not permitted to hate, like truly hate anyone. Um, it, it it even strengthens the first purpose there to say that you're in need of a savior because it's like, man, I am like. I was dealing with my hands mm-hmm. and the laws dealing with my heart, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and so, and then finally. Uh, this is the third use that's laid out here is that the third purpose of the law is to reveal what is pleasing to God, which it does. It lays out that which is pleasing to God. It's pleasing to God that you honor your father and mother. It's obviously pleasing to God that, that, that he alone is God and you have another gods before him. It's pleasing to God that you don't make graven images that look like him in your mind. But we can't get, lo- we can't get lost <laughs> in the teaspoons of the law. Right, 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 right. Because the summation of the law is... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the second most the greatest commandment is like it. Yourself. Yep. Yeah. It's yep. like in all of... And and all of this yeah. is the sum of the law. Yeah, it's like one of those things. Like when I offer you the sum, I'm giving you all the all of it. That's right. Right. And so like it, you're it's like, like, oh, well, break that down practically to me. Okay. Here okay. It well, is. don't hate your yeah, neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I can do this really easily because I can just run back through this. Right. But I think the I think the overlooked purpose of the law um, is again I think it's revealed primarily in the Gospels and built out through the apostles. But the reason I say that it's built out inside of the Gospels is because I think the primary purpose of the law, at least in the ministry of Christ, is to identify Christ as the Messiah. Mm. So, in to that, who? To what audience? Well, I think I think so. First and foremost, I think before all men. But mm-hmm. I do think at the very same time, if you're if you are if you are a Jewish individual where all the oracles of God have come to you, then I think you you have been. But you preached on this in Romans, I think three or maybe it's the end of two. You know, it's three. What then? What benefit is it then to be a Jew? Well, the oracles of God have been given to you. Circumcision mm-hmm. has been given oh, to yeah, you. Yeah. All of these but things. But he calls have, them blind gods. Yeah, exactly. He does. But it doesn't change the fact that the law has actually declared him to be Messiah. That's right. And and that's what's so important. So John 10 is the helper here. Um, John 10, in correlation, I think quite clearly with Galatians 3, um, is, well, I'll just, I'll just read it. So John 10 uh, this is this is the section of scripture that deals with Jesus being the door and Jesus being the good shepherd. But I, I just want to I want to highlight a phrase that's in here. Truly, truly, this is verse one. So John ten one. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. So Paul's. So essentially, what you have is a gated people. Gated people. They're in a they're in a pen, right? Mm-hmm. And they're in a pen. They, there's a fence all around them. And there's essentially this. Sounds just, like a guardian and a man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. So there's a statement made that if anybody comes in by jumping over the fence, thief and robber, it, its purpose is being laid out as there's only one identifying, way. right? Yep. You jump over the fence, you're a thief and a robber. Right. This is You're going to get consequences. Right, exactly. Yep. Um, and at the very same time, the sheep then should be like, not him, right. thief and robber. Hmm. 
So then it says in verse two, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So anyone who makes their way through the particular door, through the gate, um, anyone who makes their way in there, that, that clearly identifies that this man who's coming in is the true shepherd of the sheep. Now, this is interesting because Jesus has already laid, up the, laid out, or some of your phrase, not Jesus, but God has laid out, God has, <laughs> God has laid out, um, God has laid out that there would be a shepherd that would come that would be like him, right? The shepherd that would come would oversee their souls, that these wandering sheep would actually have someone to watch over them. And so it goes on in verse three, uh, well, let me read two again, just for the sake of clarity. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, to the shepherd of the sheep, the gatekeeper opens. So there's a there's someone standing at the gate identifying this, this is the shepherd. And so as he's approaching, the gatekeeper in a, presumptively would know exactly... Would grant access. Huh? Would grant access. Would grant access based upon the image of the shepherd. So this guy's walking forward and it's clearly identified, oh, this isn't a thief and a robber that's about to come jump the fence. This is the shepherd who's going to walk up and this is the shepherd who knows all of the sheep by name and as he knows all the sheep by name, he's going to the call the sheep. The people of God, he's the gonna, children of God, <laughs> and he's gonna, heirs. <laughs> and he's going to call them by name, and they're going to hear his voice, and they're going to come it's out to him because he's it? the shepherd of the sheep. What do you think he uses to call their name off of? The covenant. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, the, so my whole argument here is based in verse 3. To him, the gatekeeper opens. There are two thoughts around who the gatekeeper is. One, this gets me. It irks the fire out of me. One is... Uh, it's just part of the narrative. It's really not an important point. I have looked up the, the the first person that looked at me and told me this. I was like, and they what got me is I love this brother who told me this. The He's, same professor that said you had no, a no, problem. No, 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 not that guy. <laughs> uh, so the guy who told me this, I was preaching through the I am statements in a different place, and um, he says, "Hey man, I think you should probably just abandon that position." And I'm like, "Why?" Like, give me a reason why. What is the gatekeeper here? Why, what's its purpose? And um, and the response was, and I looked at this up, and mo- nobody deals with the gatekeeper at all. It's just a skipped over passage. And it's like when we're dealing with the, the I am statements of shepherd, in every single one of these I am statements, there's a lot around it that's clearly identifying the value of the I am statement. And so, like, I am the vine. Well, why is that important? Well, you've got a huge long list of branches and all these other things laid out there. And so, as we come to the to the to the I am the good shepherd, and very at the very same time, I am the door. We should pay very close attention to any other character that's introduced that is not identified as Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so, what you have, I think, is just Versus, loudly. Can I give you a few? Yeah, yeah. Matthew thirteen. Uh, 11, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, has more will be given and he will have an abundance, but, for, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. He goes on to say that there's a prophecy fulfilled, but it makes me think about that idea of um, in the parable of the sower, he gives you this wonderful outline mm-hmm. of like, this is what the seed means. Right. This is like, there's never a wasted word in any one exactly. of the parables that doesn't no. have a deeply rooted yep. biblical purpose behind it. You know, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm all And in. he doesn't explain all of them. He no, does in the parable of the sower. Frame, but I'm saying the yeah. parable of the sower yeah. gives you this framework where yeah. he would be like, you can't say that, oh, uh, the, 
The, yeah. the gatekeeper's no big deal. That's just that's that's lead, that's lead up yeah. fodder. Yeah, it's like no, no, no. no. It's not. It's mm. actually. It's not even like to say that it's lead up fodder or that it's just not relevant. I think is to is to God, undermine like real intention, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and its real intention is so important for the primary purpose of the text. The text is that there is a Messiah coming who's going to lay down his life for his people. He's not a thief and a robber. That's right. He is the mm. real shepherd of the sheep. Mm-hmm. And everything in the law is screaming mm. that this is him. Mm. This is why he came to his own and his own did not receive him. It does not say that they did not know him. It doesn't. There's a clear contrast in John 1. It's not saying that he came to his own and his own people were ignorant. It says he came to his own and some people did not receive him. The other concept is that he came to the world and the world did not know mm-hmm. him. But they knew exactly who he was. The Pharisees were infuriated by who Jesus was because he was stealing bro, all of he, their clout. He came to the children. Yeah. <laughs> he did. To me, like, it's a beautiful narrative of Moses and why, why the law was brought to Moses. And we cannot lose... We cannot lose the totality of Scripture for the very granular nature of the story of Exodus because it is screaming. It is screaming salvation. Mm. It really yeah, is. It is. Like, it it is. is to the Christian saying, look and behold. Yeah. Look and yeah. behold, here is your God. Mm. Here, here is the sin and the sin's consequences yeah. and all, you know, and the glory that you fell short. Mm. And yet he, herein lies, right? Where else can we go, Lord? Right. Like yeah. when he comes, where else can we go? For yeah. you have the words of eternal life. Yeah. You want to wrap it? One of the one of the things <laughs> one of the things that was really helpful to me, oddly enough, you know how like providence just has you do random things sometimes. Yeah. You're like, why did I do this? And then it's like, oh, that was actually really helpful to me. As I was working through how like going back, like how to outline um the Exodus account. Mm. And I think for me, one of the one of the 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 points that were more frustrating to me as I was going back to preaching huge sections of scripture, large narrative portions, is I had to recalibrate how I actually outlined things. And I went back and grabbed, I went back and looked at some of my sermons in Jonah, and I noticed that at the time, like I think you knew this, I was doing the observation arguments, and um, yeah. and so working back through this. It's been so helpful to me because we understand that this is given to our instruction, given for our instruction. We understand that the salvation that he's providing is a typological salvation. Um, but like the way in which we categorize that and lay it out for the Christian to receive as Christian text, mm-hmm. um, like thinking through this week's sermon is like I had I had a moment in preparation where I was like, why am I like, cause I, cause I was wrestling with some of my applications and I was like, all these applications are true. All these applications can be pulled from the text, but it's like, am I, am I missing something here? It's like, I really wasn't. I, I had, I had reached a point where I kind of lacked the confidence to say, no, 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 this is for us. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's like, I can, I can preach those things. I can argue that, that all of the Bible is meant to be used for the Christian's good. It's meant to be encouraging. It's meant to spur us up to love and to good works. It's meant to point us to Christ. All those things can be true. But like the, one of the things that was just a comfort to me is the way that the Puritans dealt with Old Testament text is they, they made these applications and they weren't afraid to say, these applications are for you. Mm. Um, and we see that we see them in lacking, we see them in victories, we see them in all these other categories, but they can't be, uh, Christ void applications. Mm -hmm. Um, and so 
anyway, I don't know why I gave that whole spiel, but it was more of just like my own thinking around pushing back into narrative text and have an understanding that by the spirit we see things. And it was interesting to me because as I was preaching two weeks ago, um, I was I was more concerned about it then than I was this week. But what I noticed as I was preaching it last week was applica- so sermons that I have preached in the past, applications that I have made in past sermons that did not connect to particular people. Like I, I knew they didn't. Like you can you, you know you you're looking and you can tell right as you're preaching. I'm looking at Blake right now. You know you you just kind of can watch. And it was interesting as I walked through it in narrative. I watched it hit two or three people, mm-hmm. and it was like this is what it's for. Well, you know, you, you made, I, I think a good reminder to me a couple of weeks, months ago around how like the, the pictures of the narratives of the story is so often like those coat hooks, yep. right. Where we hang these doctrines, these yep. theological mm-hmm. concepts to. Yeah. And to me, it's like the whole purpose of today's podcast mm-hmm. was to maybe demonstrate in a sense, when you get these big pictures, yep. like there are so much Christological, you know, yeah, deep-rooted theology and doctrine, which can then be hung. And that's that, to me, a lot of my Christian life was like, oh, the Old Testament is just something you read till you get to Matthew. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's and not I, Christian scripture, right? right? It's just <laughs> Jewish scripture, right. not for you, for them. But now it's yeah. like when you, when, you see how, when you see how the old and the new like correlate and work together, you know mm. what I'm saying? And especially in these big, these, these big you know, narratives, it's just, it's such a beautiful thing the way yeah. the Lord uses those scriptures and and actually like not not stories in the sense that they were made up you know but true history things in which mm-hmm. God brought to pass and predetermined and spoke and said this will come to pass yeah and then seeing in Christ like how that how that is now brought to the heart of the believer yeah. to bring encouragement to us you know mm-hmm. that if He did these things yeah for these people mm-hmm. in Egypt and set them free and brought them into a promised land and waited patiently until a generation was born to come right. and send a redeemer, a ruler to bring them out. Like how much more in Christ, you yeah. know? Like the, to me, mm-hmm. like that's where it makes yeah, me. Th- there's such a good phrase of so much more. Yeah. It's just like, it doesn't, it almost doesn't matter where you are. It's right. just like, and so much more. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's not, that's not a lazy application. Mm-mm. Like that's one of the things that I think there is like, it's not a lazy application for me to say, if Moses was a redeemer, how much more so was Christ a redeemer? Is Christ the redeemer? And like seeing those forms of fulfillment laid out for us, I think is just anyway. I'm I'm I got what I was going to tell you at the beginning of the podcast is I got my to Blake. To Blake. Um, you called it what is it J Factor? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like as I yesterday, like I was excited about Exodus, but yesterday I got my J Factor. Like From I was AW Pink, huh? From Pink? No, it actually wasn't from Pink. I, I was, I was. Uh, Pink said something, and I, and I, and I laid him down, and then I began to write to work through it. Mm-hmm. And as I was doing that, I was like, "Oh, bro, I forgot how much fun this is to take the Old Testament and to work through it." And and even then, like, I, I hadn't, as I'm thinking about preaching on the 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 not burning bush. Um, I, I've never, I've never spent a bunch of time thinking through. Why a not burning bush? Hmm. I thought about the things he said. I thought about you know a couple of you know I've heard like uh, funny, Sinclair Ferguson's sermon on this because like the the thing in Hebrews that comes to mind is our God is an all consuming fire, which is a major point <laughs> because he's not consuming 
the bush. Right. So we've got a lot to talk about on that. But nonetheless, like as I'm working through it, I'm like, why have I not spent time looking at the actual, like what is he communicating in the fact that out of all the things that the omnipotent God could have shown himself to be, it's a not burning bush. Mm-hmm. Why? Mm-hmm. And so I worked through a lot of that. Cliffhanger. I've got a bunch on that. I'm really <laughs> pumped about it. Okay. Are we ready? Yeah, I'm done. So in conclusion, who wants the Bible <sighs> verse? I've read a bunch of Bible verses and wrote a bunch of them down. I don't, what do you... Um, I mean, think about, how about um, heirs and co-heirs? How about that? Okay, Romans 8. Yep. Mm. Okay, here we go. All right. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. All right. Was that heirs and co-heirs? Uh, that was the next section. I already closed my Bible. Though. <laughs> <laughs> Just to say the thing. So I'd like to thank my fellow elders, Lawson Harlow and Blake McCullough for the time spent today. Fellas, you are so beautiful to me my brothers and my friends godspeed so i went to the zoo and then I, um, so mm. on Tuesday morning I got up, I went to the coffee shop, as one does. As, as, as you do. As I do. And I sat there by myself for Jeez. three hours. That sounds miserable. It was amazing. Let me tell you what I did. What coffee shop? Huh? Which one? The Coffee Central South Haven. Yeah. I just meant which coffee central. I knew you wouldn't go anywhere else. Yeah. It's called loyalty. <laughs> and, um. It's called wasting money. It's called convenience. <laughs> So much no, no, money's no. wasted it's there. It's loyalty. And anyway, so I sat there and I read. I read my Bible. I read A.W. Pink. You don't read your Bible in the minute you wake up in the morning? No. <laughs> I'm out. No. I'm no. officially moving my membership. <laughs> <laughs> you know you actually can't be a Christian if you don't if you don't uh, read your Bible before, before you drink your water on Sunday morning. Yeah. I, did I tell you about my seminary prof? No. Uh, so I had a seminary prof. We're friends now. But we were not in seminary. Mm. Um, he told me that if you don't start your day by reading your Bible, you might not be a Christian. <laughs> Bro, that's too much. That's way too much. And so, you know, look, it's like I, I read my Bible. Me and there was, a, there was an, uh, a, a lady inside of the class whose name was Casey. And we had talked like maybe, I don't know, a couple of hours before this class about how useless we are as morning people. Mm. And how we read at night before we go to bed. You were telling this to who? I was telling this to another person in the class. Mm. And uh, and so he says this, and we both are just like, like hiding in the corner. I mean, it's a seminary professor. We're like, yeah. yeah. And so it was, we didn't, we didn't combat. I ended up combating him on it later, though, when I got more comfortable. Like at a Christmas party? No. He sidled up next to It was like three <laughs> classes later, like three, not, not How's like. that coffee punch? Yeah. <laughs> Can you hear me? Hello!